0: All right, guys well you've made your way back to the woodsman perspective podcast and we're glad you did uh we're, we're back in the studio we got mitt back rescued back. back from the mountains we got him <laughs> that's good to be back too i bet you it was cold and no help yeah, yeah that's it look it's always good to get away it's always good to get back it seems like no question uh well look thank y'all for jumping on with us uh as always, if you listen to us, whatever platform, give us a give us a like and a review. That helps us out a lot. And uh, we hope you all enjoyed that last one. Uh, we have my brother on here talking about falls, and we've got some good feedback on that. And just keep that in mind. We'll move on from there. But just, we don't want to see anybody get hurt. Uh, but today, we're going to shift gears and jump back on something a little bit more technical and management-based. Uh, and we're going to talk about... W- doe harvest doe management and and when to shoot your does because there's there's a couple of sort of uh, schools of thought or camps on this different philosophies some people are early and some people are late season getting them and uh, we want to talk about the timing and and when to go when to kill your does
1: well Brent I want to back up just a little bit and before we talk about when to kill them why are we killing them I mean are we doing it because we feel like a, a doe's got a a, a, a real tender tenderloin, yes, It'd be better in that, in that uh, on that on that skewer. At neck roast, yeah. On that, or are we trying to, to? Is it from herd management standpoint? I mean, why are we why are we shooting them? I think that's a, a you know something that we need to talk about and, and to understand before we even talk about when to kill them.
2: Well, all of us are, are in our mid forties, so when we grew up hunting. So we remember growing up as a kid when we were hunting. You, you could shoot them two times a year, two days. I think it was like the 27th or 28th. It was a lot more fun to shoot him when you couldn't. <clears throat> That's right. I mean, if you shot one, you had to hide him on that Buick seat <laughs> till you got him out of there. And, um, you know, but it, as far as the population goes, Mitt, and and, and um, we start saying, you know, I know why I try to shoot them versus what you want to do to shoot yours. And and um, I think I think getting into a little this is going to help. Contrasting that. Yeah. Well
1: I- – you know, one thing, and, and, and Bronson talks a lot about this, and Bronson and I talk a lot about you know these types of uh, uh, management approaches, and, and he's got a lot of research and just a wealth of knowledge on, on what he's done. But the philosophy that those guys, those researchers, are coming up with is: look, I want to carry as many does on my place as the resources will allow. And
0: That's so,
1: nice. yeah, and so because if you think about. <clears throat> And, and I my goal and I know your goal is too Chris is we want to produce as many mature bucks as we can with ultimately the, the the biggest set of antlers that we can that we can grow right and so a mature deer versus the ones that have big antlers that's just a statistical numbers game and so if you think about, only one or two or five, if you're lucky, out of a
0: hundred. That's that Michael Jordan that, that bell get, curve We talked. About that's in right. The earlier can get episode. to that
1: far extreme side. Then it's to your advantage to have as many does on the landscape as the carrying capacity will allow. Right. It's a fine line right in
2: there, though. It isn't, and you know this when you when you start sitting on a field and you see fifteen or twenty does, one buck. Okay. You know or our, our the majority of the deer that you're seeing is is doe versus a buck, All right. So then you just have to start looking. But knowing your place, it goes back to we've always said, knowing your place, knowing what resources you have. Okay, if you're in a pine plantation that's that's over seven years old, you ain't got a lot of food to feed them to carry them. You may have a lot of population, but you don't have enough food to carry them. And it goes back to what you're saying. Know your carrying capacity is, is knowing your place and knowing what your neighbors doing. That's I mean, right. you may have a neighbor with a hundred acre cutover, fresh cutover. Well, you know, for six years you're gonna have some good food. Mm-hmm. Okay, it really just doing some doing some research and knowing your place and knowing your surroundings. Then you can you can set forward on where you want to be. It's really about maximizing those resources because if you get if your population gets over that line
1: then your resources start to suffer you're not going to be able to accomplish what you and I are trying to trying to do Chris not to the, the the fullest extent and so and and you said something just a minute ago and I want to make sure that we dispel that real quick is the number of deer you're seeing in a in a, off a stand buck does is not correlated to necessarily your buck doe ratio that's right you said something about you know when you get in a stand and you see 20 does and and no bucks well I've seen from a cultural standpoint, if we're shooting at the bucks, they have an uncanny uh, way of not showing up in that food plot. They it's avoid pressure, them yeah. bullets. And the reason why I'm confident in that, I've been hunting in Texas before where they're really standing on those does. And you go sit on the food plot in, in South Texas, and all you see is bucks. You don't see any does. And so
0: that's... So they that, adapt. No They've doubt. A they have So uncanny ability
1: to a, adapt. That's,
2: <clears throat> that's where... Later in this podcast, we're going to get into is that pressure yeah, mechanism. No doubt. That pressure system that we're trying our listeners to key into. Hey, you can do everything you want to do, just be smart. Yeah. And, and I think we're going to throw some really good ideas yeah. at you how to do it.
1: Yeah. So let's, you know, when we start talking about why we're shooting the does, let's, I want to dispel one thing too, because I've heard a lot of people, my buddies, talk about buck doe ratio. And I'm shooting my does to, Manage that buck doe ratio at whatever they seem possible, and you hear people talk about, you know, one to fifteen, one to ten. Well, it, it's interesting because I was in that camp too, and just not understanding buck doe ratio. Well, it's it's biologically nearly impossible to have anything more than a one to five
0: because the birth rate, yeah, the gender birth rate. That's
1: right, and so, <clears throat> and I put some numbers together based on what, what Kip had shared, just as kind of a walking out an example of a real-world scenario to where you just, you can't, you simply can't get to those types of numbers. So let, let's start with, with this is, you know, the, the pre-hunt season. Let's say, hypothetically, we have 100 does and 20 bucks. Okay. All right, you know, walk this out with me. Okay. That's going to be a five-to-one ratio, ratio. At, at start. Okay. All right. We're going to have, we'll go through the hunting season. We're going to have mortality and we're going to shoot 18 of those 20 bucks. So that leaves us 100 does with two bucks at the end of hunting season. Okay. All right. So then we're going to have natural mortality. Natural mortality, they say, is about 10%. So I'm going to lose 10 of my does over that season. That gives me 90 does. Okay. And 50% of that two bucks, I've lost another buck. So I've now I've got
2: 90 I've got,
1: to 1. I've got 90 to 1. All right. Then I have, the the fawning season comes around, all right, and we're gonna say that my fawning recruitment is 0.82 fawns per doe, and so that can change all over the place. Some of the worst places in the country out west may be a half a, a fawn per doe. You get up in the Midwest and Illinois and Iowa, you may have 1.2. So I so I've just picked somewhere in the middle, 0.8, right. 0.83, whatever that was. So the fawn recruitment, and we're gonna slant it toward slant it toward the bucks. We're gonna have 37 doe recruitment. And 38
2: buck recruitment. Now we're talking offsprings, right? Offsprings. Okay.
1: Offsprings from those, from those original 90 does. So if you add that up to that one buck that I have left, and the, the 90 does plus the 37 is 127 to 39 bucks. That's a three to one buck doe ratio.
2: Or that dough, that, dough that bucklers, quick in one year.
1: In one year, so you can see where it's biologically nearly impossible to have some of these crazy high so numbers. So these people
2: start taking one to one and all it's, this.
1: It's a lot easier to attain a one to one or one to two than people may think, right. because it, biologically it wants to get there anyway.
2: Right. And so Mother Nature. Mother
1: Nature is mm-hmm. going to keep. It. So when you start saying hearing these these conversations about I need to shoot these does because my buck doe ratio is you know um, you know one to well, ten, that, that's just simply not true. And so that's that's not a good reason to really stand on the does because you could be getting a skewed, um, you know, representation from a stand from the same thing you said, Chris. While ago, I see does all in my food plots. And I don't see any bucks. Well, that could be a cultural yeah, cultural
2: deal, yeah, right? And and a lot of times a buck's going to move later in the evening than, than the does coming out at two o'clock, three o'clock. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a thing. Now, <clears throat> Mitt going through. And me and Brent was talking about this, you know, looking at habitat. Okay, Brent, I think you mentioned the privet hedge.
0: Yeah. You know. If you're looking at browse line, you're looking at browse pressure Mm -hmm. as an indicator of of that number and how close you are relative to your carrying capacity. Yeah. So I'll tell you
2: another thing as far as, as looking is looking around, taking a radius around your good food plots, that'll tell you how much damage they're doing to your natural browse. Yeah. And, I mean, I can walk in there, eat it stems down, eat up. And it just, because what they do, they're hanging. Now, remember now, we're talking about a browser. He is a, he's a selector. So, he's going to just not come to that food plot and eat that. He's not just going to come to that corn feed and all he's going to eat is corn. He's going to eat a little of both. He's going to go around. He's going to browse around. And, and he's going to go to his top quality food first. Then he works his way back. And where, you know, we've seen him eating leaves off gum trees. Right. And, and it's just so that in, in, in a nutshell is, as far as getting into, you know, watching, looking at carrying capacity and seeing, okay, are they destroying my natural brows of what I've got? Mm-hmm. What's our limiting factor, you know, that we've got for them. And then how are they doing it? You may be burning, you may be spraying, you may do everything that we've told you to do to your habitat, but you may have too many deer, we're not going to say too many does, but too many deer and, and and
0: they're they're really working that natural habitat over that's right and that goes to the point that that I've heard both of you make if you do all these things if you if you if you're taking care of this habitat you're you're maximizing food, you're maximizing cover, you're keeping that culture you know at low pressure if you're doing everything right, you are also promoting that increased population. you provided this premier place for them to live so in theory you're increasing population too Th- so they're gonna have a better success rate no as doubt. far as right.
1: reproduction and then you get back to that that stance where you talk about being a numbers game the more does that i have on my landscape that i can keep healthy then the more opportunity i have to put that special buck on the ground that i can grow to five years old to be what we're, we're trying to
0: do so okay you- so let's go back to the original question you know i i, I opened it up talking about when so why yeah so Why kill the does? What, what's, what's the upside well, to I reducing just, that number?
1: Good point. I think Chris just said it. It's not necessarily the doe harvest, it's the deer harvest. And to reducing that population at or below the amount of resources that you have. When I say amount of resources, I mean food supply. And, and so if we can match that number up... And going back to what we talked about earlier, you really want to carry as many deer as the resources will allow. If I've got a a poorly managed place or some place that I can't manage actively, um, you know, maybe my deer population, I can't carry it as high as maybe I can on Chris's place because I've, I've managed the habitat. I've got, you know, really good food plots, a supplemental feed that would allow my population to be a little bit higher. And so it's not a magic number for everybody to use it's really individual to your places and it's really about and
0: your goals also no doubt
1: and so we're talking about doe management but you look at a at a a five-year-old buck that you know we'll call a management buck or a cull buck that no he's i'm not gonna shoot him he's not he's not big enough well he weighs 220 pounds how many groceries is he gonna eat compared to 120 pound doe
2: he's going to eat twice as
1: much and so it's not really about doe management it's about (laughs) herd herd management.
2: management
1: more than than just picking on picking on the does now, well does i've watched totally do i'm
2: i'm seeing and you're seeing it now you know i was with you when you bought your place and it was shot down by the the, the louisiana connection they they'd shot it down yep. it didn't have really good habitat and, and and i remember that first year you saw one to five would be a big, big day, day with big day one to five deer mm-hmm. okay a buck was almost non-existent, but he would, you know, you would see one. You didn't shoot a deer on that farm, I know, for two years. That's right. Once we started mm-hmm. making it. Now, how many years has it been? So six. Is, is it, it six? six? So this is year six. Yes. Now, this is very dramatic, but what we did, we took away a lot of of unwanted cover, okay? We call it cover, but just, and put really good, high-quality grasses and, and, and forbs and stuff in there, plus a Big-time food plot management that Mitt put on this place. Now we're at year six, and he's going to have to kill 20 does this year. His population has exploded where, and I've witnessed it myself, I've sat and seen 25 or 30 deer on, on one sitting on Mitt's place. So,
1: you know, and, and that's where I'm, I'm really struggling right now is because, and this is just an observation and, and you know, the, the science world would may you know, jump on me about that, but the places that I've seen, the, the, the few farms that, that I own and manage versus the farms that I've been on and have access to, it seems like there's a really close correlation to deer population and, and trophy bucks or mature bucks. Yes. The lower the population... Seems like the more mature bucks that I carry, the 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 higher the population. I don't see those those trophy bucks, and 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 I don't know what that correlation is. Other than Brent, it may be just like that that you know introvert fifty six year old guy at the Christmas party. He don't want to be around. He's back there in the back room. He don't <clears throat> want to be around all that. And I think a lot well, of mature bucks are, are that way. I've
2: witnessed that on my place the last four or five years I've saw a good bit of my quality deer where I would have three to four on my place that are 140 and above now going to one deer on my place that is a sure enough shooter and a, and a superstar and I'm not doing anything different but not probably not taking out as many deer as I need Well to. and I think
1: it's what's interesting is to go back and tell the story of your place. And it's got a similar story to mine. Right. It was it was all bottomland hardwood. The habitat quality was low. No, no diversity. No diversity. So and in turn that kept the population low. Well when he first got that place, I mean you can walk in Chris's camp house, and it looks like, you know, somewhere out of Iowa. I mean monsters. Yeah. And then as he started doing that that habitat diversity and really starting to concentrate on on improving that habitat, population the population road. went up. And it seems to be somewhat correlated to the, the trophy deer that he, he was taking, and maybe not as m- many of them now. And so I don't have any answers. That's really no, more of a question. That's
0: right. Yeah. It, it's that's something we got to go with.
2: That, yeah. yeah. And Brent, you know, you have sat there uh, many a times on those places, And my place and Mitch's place are almost a mirror image of where they're at when I had mine the first five or six years. Because Mitch, you helped me lay my first mm-hmm. food plots out on this place. Mm-hmm. To where you're at right now, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I'm killing, on my place, I'm killing 25 deer. And I'm glad you said that herd. I'm killing 25 out of the herd, whether that's call bucks or does, or if I don't have many call bucks or trophy bucks, then it'll be does. And my neighbor, which he's a very, very stickler to doe harvest. I mean, He, he goes shoots at, a lot of them. Well, he's a DMAP man. Right. Okay, he's a DMAP man, so he's he's been a dmap man since the since the early nineties so you know kind of neighbor you want the kind of neighbor you want so he shoots them and he shoots anywhere from thirty to thirty five according on what dmap is giving him it. and you know he takes milk and you know surveys and 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 what their ratios are and their body fat and, and kidney fat and all this stuff so he really get, he's a doctor so he really really gets into that part of the of the um, biology of them but it's a uh, you know i don't think I don't think any of us know the right number. Well, I think, and I think that the, really the way we come up with that
1: number is the, being a student of your place and observing that habitat. Right. So when you go back to what you were saying, Chris, when they, they've got a preference, and if you understand the plant species on your place and understand their preference, that'll give you a guide is if, if you have a preference from one to ten, let's say on a plant species, and all your tens are eaten down to the ground, and and they're starting to, to, to feed on fours and fives on from a preference standpoint, that may tell you that, hey, I may need to do something, either improve my habitat or reduce my population. That's really
2: the only two actions. And, and I think that is the correlation. I think that yeah, them the being selectors, yeah. I think by them being the selectors of the best food, I think all of the biologists agree, because I've I've sitting on a many of talks and and where they say hey they're going to go after They'll that high high quality food so a doe and a buck has the same desire mm-hmm. to eat the high quality food the buck's high quality food goes to work we want to do the antlers and the body but the doe's going to offspring, lactation lactation mm-hmm. she wants to have a healthy body for her, yep. reproduction and and you know there you know i think that's the correlation between population and that's my opinion. So
1: that's where you come up with your numbers. When you right. when you can look at your native brows or you can see your food plots, you can determine then how many. It's more of a trial and error. But I think it's much more accurate than somebody saying, "Hey, you need to take thirty does." Right.
2: I think we've we've got easy. Me and Brent talked about this back in the you know nineties, eighties and nineties when dough when you started getting doe tags and mm-hmm. and we just set numbers. Well, you got five hundred acres, you need to kill twenty. We didn't really have any statistics to tell us that, but it was the new game. Is hey, we we finally got a population where we can hunt. Now we got to do something. We got to start shooting some of them. And and I think I think knowing your own place, I think it goes back to that. Knowing your neighbor's place, and and how many you know, I get so many people ask me, Chris, how many do you think I need to shoot? It, it, it's, it, it's got so many variables on how many. Number one, how big's your track? Okay,
1: that's a great right. point. Yeah.
2: How you big's your, big your track? What's your neighbor doing? Right. That? Well, how many is your neighbor killing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really off off what Doctor Reed harvest every year. I set my, I set my harvest to be in, in you know, in contact with his harvest. To make sure, hey, we're in the same. We're playing on the same playing field. So I want to I want to touch on what you just said, and and, and
1: between you and, and your neighbor Chris, y'all got a big track put together. And so that's those are valid arguments and valid statements that you're making about controlling the deer population. But if I if my goal with my track is to shoot trophy bucks, and I own forty acres, I would argue that I don't ever need to shoot a doe.
2: Don't shoot a one.
1: Because the, the, the pressure that I would put on that place by shooting the does is going to be counter to me trying to, to grow and raise and hold a mature buck. Not that I can hold a mature buck on 40 acres, but I can either encourage him to spend time on it or discourage him to spend time on it. Yeah, and there's I,
0: certain things that are in your control. That's right. And, and those are the, those are things you start focusing on then. And some of those would be not firing shots yeah. and not killing does. Well, that's well, right.
2: We talk about this all the time. That guy with that 20 acres that joins you. He can destroy you with a corn pile, as far as all the deer he wants to shoot. Mm-hmm. Okay, but and you know I love hunting small tracks. I've hunted them all my life, and 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 really been pretty sharp to get some small track that join some bigger landowners. That, but hey, I ain't gonna shoot a doe. I want every doe I can get on that track, because if you get all the does on it. Look, he's finna come two-stepping somewhere. Mm-hmm. He's either gonna be on that guy. Or he's gonna be on you. And, yeah, and you know that's the thing. Now uh, it goes back to people wanting to eat them. And, and and you know we have a we have a very very liberal. Yeah, the bag, the season, season bag, the, the limit bag limit.
0: You can go. You can kill five.
2: You can kill five does. And then the how season. many bucks was it? Brent? Three. Three bucks. So you can kill in the state of Mississippi. You can kill eight deer, fella. You'd have to have you two step in. in you know upright freezers to put all of them in Eight deer yeah. so it it you know you know now license are you know thirty five forty dollars so people that really like to eat deer they're gonna kill them regardless but we're just we're not telling you not to kill them because you got a small track if you want to kill one that's your that's what you you know, well, the, the,
1: you're right. The caveat do. now in that was if my objective on that 40 acres was to trophy, grow bugs. trophy buck. That's, that's what right. I was going to yeah. say. So, so I wanted to, to, to circle back
0: to a couple of things. So, so let's say we've established. So we we've, we've analyzed the things we've talked about here, and decided we still want to kill those. Let's say let's say you still you're going to kill 15 or 20 does. There's a couple of things to kind of hit on the I think the pros and cons of, of doing that early season. You know, get back to what when I opened it up, I was talking about the two camps and sort of two trains of thought, which both have very good logical arguments. I won't say arguments, but you know, some people love to get them as early as they can in bow season, if possible. That early, you know, Mississippi has that uh, doe-only primitive weapon season now, youth season. There's there's several opportunities early in the season where you can hit those doe numbers, and then kind of let the heat, let the pressure die off that property before rut. Just the way the rut timing is with our season in Mississippi. Other well, people are going to do it late. Last thing, you know, and, and I guess w- what are some points? What are some takeaways there? Some thoughts there. And and another thing, the guy with the forty acres. Uh, I was going to make a point about that. So if you're hunting a small track, it may be that your doe harvest is less about population management or herd management, and it's more about meat. No doubt. So so so, and that's if those you take objectives. a guy. All right, so take a guy. Let's just say me. Let's say I'm hunting a, a two or three different forty-acre tracks. But I'm hunting small tracks, and I want the meat from the doe. You know, I want to kill. I want to kill three or four does just you, for me. Eat them a lot. That's right, because yeah. I eat them a lot. But I also don't want to compromise. I don't want to spoil the well because that's the same ground mm-hmm. that I'm hunting. Like you know, I love to hunt a good buck. That's your campers. pipeline. That's right. Yeah. So. So that's, good that's another thing to to approach is, is the timing of those Doha. I would go ahead and say there's no upside to wait until the, uh, the end of season if you're that small track guy. You, bow season's a good time to knock them out. But now I think then if you're that guy, you concentrate a little more on where.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I want to make one comment to this the, the bow hunting theory, and I am a bow hunter. I'm dying the wool. I love to bow hunt. That's my passion. But you will not manage a population. I don't care if you're Levi Morgan – with a bow and arrow i agree with you yeah you just you're not gonna do it and, and with a sizable track you just can't take enough deer not off one there. person
2: no no, no. well, I, well yeah. let's just look at numbers from the deer plant i I'm, i can t- share my numbers with you we had 150 deer come in the whole bow season okay whole bow season 150 deer we had 120 deer come in opening saturday and sunday right so you think about the that.
0: effectiveness, yeah. right?
2: So yeah. wh- what's both season 45 days before the gun season. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I had a 100- hundred. Well, it's just so much more efficient right. with Question. the gun hunt yeah. and, and a scenario where you can get the deer on a food plot and you can make a different management decision. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's a different ball game. It's, it's. And y'all have both been with me. Now, now here's my
2: perspective on, on when I kill mine. Okay. It don't matter when you kill yours, when I kill mine. So I try to kill 25 deer. We said that earlier. So if I get to that point, I'll get to the end of the season. After I've ran my cameras, after I've hunted my big deer, okay. After I've, you know, I feel like I've killed the deer, my target bucket I went after. Then I'll, I'll recruit in two days, and we'll kill fifteen or twenty deer in two days. Cause y'all been on it, and you'll come there with that gun, me and shoot, and Brent will shoot, and I mean, and that that's been my story of getting my deer. I'll kill them in two days and be done with it at the end of the season. So they won't hear a shot mm-hmm. all year except for a bigger deer, and then in those 2 days, I'll knock, I'll knock them out. Mm-hmm. And um now, what I always do if you got that cousin, you got that person that wants to care of their kid, I'll lay a field to the side, okay? And I'll you know, I'll bait it, you know, corn feeder, whatever I need to do and and have a good place away from my place on the far outside edge of it. To to shoot, to harvest those okay? Yeah, to keep and, that pressure. To keep that pressure. And but so that, because it ain't. Think about y'all. Think about this. And I know everybody listening. You're gonna say, you know what? He's right. It ain't just shooting him. It's it ain't the just blood shoot, tracking. It, you, it's you, the you, you're whaler, wounding it. It's the dragging yeah, in, you're Talking on That's the cell right. phone. Mm-hmm. Hey, baby, I'm gonna be late tonight. All of that noise and all of that stuff that they're not used to plays a role. Yeah. And, and, and uh,
1: so I, I want to elaborate on that because I, I'm right now I'm I'm in that honeymoon stage of deer management on my farm where I haven't had to take a lot of deer. I hadn't had to shoot a lot of does, But now I'm getting to that spot to where I'm fixing to be in those decisions. And so and and we've been really successful on my farm. In the last two or three years, killing some really nice trophy bucks. No I mean, question. that was that was what my goal was uh, when I bought the place, and, and we've done it.
2: As big as we grow here,
1: and one thing that I'm that's really heavy on my mind right now, because I'm a stickler of the way that I hunt. So you're still that,
0: weighing out these things we're talking no about, doubt how about you're going to approach no doe harvest. No that's, doubt about it. Good timing.
1: So what what I do know emphatically, and Chris has enjoyed the same type of success with the same approach is the low-pressure hunt environment, or the, say saying another way, the culture that we've built our place around. We have mature bucks walk out, and Chris, you'll testify to this, mature bucks, five-year-old-plus bucks walk out in a food plot in the afternoon at 4 o'clock. And, and so when we start talking about growing a big deer versus killing a big deer, there's a lot of places that grow a big deer, but you won't ever see him. I want to be able to kill them when we grow them, and the culture that we hunt, the the way that we set these places up, come in and out, egress, ingress, out, in and out of stands, all that creates a low-pressure environment. When these deer are raised up in that, they feel comfortable at maturity still taking that approach. And so back to Chris's point, when we start shooting all these does, such a
0: balancing act. it's
1: such a fine balancing act of how to, to, to have your cake and eat it too. Yep. And so that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road on how we're going to do that. So Chris talked about, you know, taking all his does there at the end. Well, one thing that why I'm, I'm nervous about that, everybody gets busy. Yep. You know, the best plan, you know, undone is not a good plan. And so we wait till the end of the season to shoot our, our 30 deer that we need our 30 does. And yep. Chris gets the flu. Or catch a warm front, catch, catch a, weather a warm pattern, front, or so, if
0: you want a duck hunt,
1: there's a lot of and, things that's right. that could interfere with that. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking through this on, on how could we do that where I can maintain the culture that I that I feel like is so important for me shooting the trophies that we're doing, but also to be able to do the population management that it looks like that we're going to have
0: to do to maintain that trophy. That's right. So the I, balance I and pressure with with quality of, of that deer and oh. and that environment where the buck. You know, we talked about the buck being that old, honorary, 58-year-old guy. He not want to be around that, that anybody. He doesn't, he doesn't stick around and shake hands after church. He's mm-hmm. leaving during, mm-hmm. during the prayer. Yep. And, and that's how that buck acts. He doesn't want to be in that crowd. And so,
1: and that's something, Brent, that you don't hear a lot of people talk about. You hear about, you know, hunting pressure from as it relates to mature bucks and what you can do to discourage or encourage. Yeah, we talk about it. That's we talk a, about huge. That's, that's, Everybody huge. talks about that. But one thing that people don't talk about very much, and you don't hear much about this is the, the the social pressure from a deer population standpoint? So, if our theory is right that a mature buck he just he wants his own space, he doesn't want to be you know crowded. Now just
0: there. watch how when he walks out in the field, how the other deer leave. They that move right. I mean, that, that's it's, yep. that tells us right that's they don't right. want to be around it. That's right.
2: Yeah. He's a jerk. Or, or pushing them off of a feeder, and he don't want to be around it either. That's right. And no.
1: that's why he shows aggression toward that. And so, if I've got a big big deer population, is it so? Out of the way to think about that those trophy bucks that we're hunting we're actually displacing them because of our high population onto the neighboring where they where they yeah, you're you victim of your by. own
0: success in a way for creating all that that that, that population yep. boom i guess so every
1: year chris there's there's that those rap gang of <laughs> rabbit hunters that shoot that monster on a ditch bank nowhere close to anything. Why is that
2: buck living on that ditch? On an Island. He's getting away from it. He wants to, he wants his own spot. And so he he don't feel secure. If that's
1: true, how can we have, how can we manage, how can we have the the intensive management, the habitat management that encourages higher populations, but also have that, that trophy, um, you know, deer mature buck on that on that you've got to
0: produce him like we talked about the numbers game of how he's that one in a thousand or one in ten thousand you're trying to produce but you also have to balance that those population numbers we're we're discussing and talking about the idea that doesn't displace low enough numbers where he's comfortable that's where he's going to be right and that's that
1: fine tune between you know habitat carrying capacity deer population and that cultural social pressure and, and finding right where all those those places intersect and it,
0: it's a lot of work
1: it is a lot of work it's
0: a lot now, of work shooting. it's a lot of strain on my brain i could see i would i would wake up at night to go to the bathroom and i'd lay back down i I'd, I'd get caught just thinking about that hey it's it a lot of <laughs> it's a lot
2: of work killing them it's a lot of work killing them i got two daughters that like to shoot them I got several buddies that that I on ones I trust to go shoot them because you send them down to shoot a doe and the first thing they do they send you a text man you ought to see this buck out here well, I don't uh, look we're not <laughs> we are not we are not down look, here for that we ain't looking at him now he's yeah. he we've already seen him for yeah. the year he's okay but it you know the time and you talking about waiting at the end so let's just just talk about our Mississippi season so our season comes in November fifteenth sixteenth seventeenth okay one of those three dates. Our rut usually starts here around December 20th. You think that's pretty I accurate, do. Brent? I think that's spot on. The first time yeah. through Christmas. So the 20th through the 27th is really wide open. So that only gives you 30 days. Okay. Now, so do we, all your dope now let's don't talk about nothing but a big track, but I'm talking about a 40 acre track, a 200 acre track, whatever. That gives you 30 days to kill them. Okay. Just say you got to kill, just say your club has 25, your D-map says you got to kill 25. Well, somebody's got to kill one every day. Somebody's got to kill a deer every day if he wants to kill them before the rut to get to that point. So then, I've never seen many people kill them, throw them on the shoulder and walk out with them. Then that's 30 times that four-wheeler, that ranger, Mm -hmm. with them them LED lights that, that look like a football stadium coming through the field, you know, comes out there snorkel kit picks that doe up runs off leaves with it another one shoots it again so then you start having just say you got six fields okay i'm just i'm just throwing these out there so you shoot off the two fields and you've done this three times then you say well we got two more we got two or three more fields yeah then you shoot off him now You've got your does, kill. You got lulled to sleep
1: because you're seeing fifteen, twenty does on all these fields. This is going to That's be easy correct. to get to those numbers. You shoot once or twice on those fields. Guess what?
2: Let me tell those you. Those other ones. And, it, and y'all both know this because I have harped on it and I have told it and I've give this, I've give this, One of this story. So what I done was the best, the best stand on my place is a, a place we call the Gas Line. Mitch, you know, you said it, Brent. You have to. Yep. Day in and day out I put against any place in the state. As far as sitting there in a morning sit, seeing bucks and does. You'll see twenty-five to thirty. They're going coming out of some big hardwoods, going back to bed down. It's a it's that it's that place that at eight o'clock when everybody else is leaving. That that place is coming alive. So two years ago, Mitch, you were down that morning. We were I that morning I'd seen twenty-five, several small bucks. I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just shoot my does. I got them out here. The the day was, uh, you know, pretty day was not too cold. And I told Mitt, I said, I'm going to start, I'm just going to shoot some. So I fired off, boom, dropped one. I fired off, boom, dropped another one. They run around. I fired off, killed another one. Told you, look, I've got three down. Went back to the ranger. Went and got Mitt. Come back to him. There was one standing there looking at the other ones. I shot that one. So I killed four. No witnesses. Okay. (laughs) Just took them out. All right. That's it. Loaded them up. Now, this is the best stand on my place, bar none. That was opening day. Early season. Early season. Loaded them up. And this is 100% truth, what I'm going to tell you. I never saw more than five deer on that stand the rest of the year.
1: And I'm telling you, as a and man that's been that, in that stand a bunch, a lot of times is, a year, that's a stand you see 40 out
2: on a bad day. Yeah. I ruined that place for a year. Ruined it. The the, the habitat's the same. The pressure was the same. I never shot another time on that field. The bucks, the, the, what I'd done was so off the wall to them it so drastic it was so drastic, it was so drastic. The, like, culture you created i mean you're talking about a place that ain't had five shots fired on it in three or four years but i shot
0: five or six different times that morning and i ruined that place for a year but now that goes so i don't know what the data and i would hate to start a fight but that goes against two pretty popular beliefs in dough harvests is one get them done early that was opening day right and the other is that it's better if you want to kill three on this food plot get them all in one sitting because that's one ranger trip that's one recovery and that's not three it's not three instances or occasions of these deer getting ran off a field by a gunshot and i'm i i that's a position that i take but i can't really argue with the but I mean, it's a firsthand example. Mm-hmm. It's it's one I mean, I'm it familiar happened. with the location. And, and, you know, I, and, and I look back. That's over hard the, to argue with a real world example. If, well, but if that
1: resident deer population that uses that food plot and accustomed been using that food plot, and that family group was, generation was close proximity to that food plot when Chris did all that shooting, all the deer that used that food plot were exposed to that pressure, and so I can under I can understand
2: that. they never. And you know, the funny part we, we know we've we spent most of our lives studying deer and, and watching them. But I never figured that it would affect them that bad. Mm. But guys, I'm telling you, you look back at the previous eight years. You take everything away. The only thing different is, instead of me shooting them at the end of the year, I shot them the opening day. That's the only thing that's different. It wasn't a. It wasn't bad. You know, the weather wasn't right. It wasn't environmental. It wasn't. Uh, I killed them that opening day, and, and it and it it moved them. Now you think about that. That's that's on a big track, okay? You think about doing that on a forty or two hundred or a hundred and fifty acre track. It 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 affect them the yeah. same way, right? And now you know any biologist, any biologist you talk to, and they say, when well, you know when's the best time to do any time. You know that's their that's their big thing. I would argue that's coming from a man who doesn't manage a track, right? That's, that's correct, straight biology. But, but I'm telling yeah. y'all, people, it. That happened, and I will never do it again. Yeah.
0: Well, and that, you know, there's also, is that a biological call or an ecological? You know, you're talking about mm-hmm. the biology or you're talking about the habitat and the carrying capacity mm-hmm. because most wildlife biologists that you talk to, they, they're lean one way or the other. But the I, I balance that, that I
1: think that they missed, though— is the the managing the the hunting managing the culture of that track and so that's right. from a from an ecological and a that's biological that's a little bit
0: of an unta- intangible it that's really harder is harder to measure the effects
1: you become very sensitive to it when it's your track that's right I mean, it's easy I agree to stand that, over an ivory tower and say hey Brent you need to kill thirty good yeah. luck to you
0: but but how many and people, in their defense that's their job is sort of that uh, they're, they're they're providing that sort of research-based opinion yeah but me as a landowner brent i want you to help me
1: with the next step all right you're telling me that i need to kill 30 but you're absolutely dropping a hand grenade on why i even bought the track i want to shoot trophy deer and what you're recommending me to me is counter to me being able to do that and we've got track record and chris and i and you have real world experiences with if you do that wrong you just absolutely blew up what our full intention was the whole
0: purpose purpose. that's right
1: and so that's where i want to be very sensitive so coming back full circle of of, you know chris he um you know he's got that that philanthropist attitude he likes to give you know he's got a lot of connections and he can take 30 deer at, at at you know within 20 days he can he can do something with that. You give a lot of deer away. Right. I don't necessarily have that, and so to the thought of me, what am I going to do with twenty deer in, in over a week's time? It's a,
0: it's a, it's hard work. Yeah. I'm telling and you. So yeah, logistically, I'm, what do you do with that? And so
1: that's what that's what you know, kind of discourages me from thinking down that road. So, but the facts remain, I still got to, to manage that that same deer population. So what what am I going to do? Well, number one, what I've what I'm I guess I've come to was that I don't want to shoot any deer on my food plots, especially in the afternoons. Right. Because that's, that's the destination food plots that I've set aside to keep it low pressure to where a mature deer feels comfortable walking into it. You put guns on that, you're going to compromise that. And so I'm trying not to do that. All right. So, all right, then where you, if you're not doing that, where are you going to shoot your does? Well, I want to create some, some road structures, some senderos, property out in the woods, out in the
2: woods. Right.
1: And, to where let those destination food plots be unmolested and be very strategic in the way that you're taking your does. And so one window of time that I feel like is really good and, and you've got you've got to be purposeful about doing this and you can't just do dough management when it's convenient for you. But how many times have we been sitting on a stand in the mornings and gonna get down at ten and that 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 big dough steps out at nine thirty? That's a perfect time to do that. And if you sprinkle that all throughout the season, because you still got to walk out, um, I try to keep, and I know you do too, keep, uh, you know, some type of, of uh, activity on your place year round. I think that, so they're used to, so they're, that acclimates that. And so, uh, a 1030 um, four wheeler ride across your place is not unusual on your place, Chris. That's correct. And so if we can start incorporating things like that, and you sprinkle that throughout all the year, um, then I can get to my because numbers because the a majority
2: bit. of those deer in the morning is already fed and they're in their beds.
1: And you're not putting pressure. That's right. You're, you're not, not jumping time them up. or on a place to where it could. You've mess your run up them. The next You've day.
0: conditioned them somewhat for that disturbance. Yep. That four wheeler trip in there mid morning isn't right. as out of the way as that four wheeler ride in there right after dark. But That's I think right.
2: I think we're seeing and I listened to a nice good podcast this weekend about ducks, and and they were talking. I had a biologist from the University of Arkansas Monticello. And and the pressure that people are putting on these ducks, not shooting them, but just riding in these boats and jumping them up. I mean, I think any wildlife, turkeys too, Brent, you've got that guy with that box called, is wearing them out while they're in the tree. I mean, I think the pressure goes to all of them and us being stewards of the land. We also got to use our head and not destroying what we've worked our tails off and what we spent all this money on by the simplest thing. Of, of, of timing just thinking you know i know we have limited time to hunt but thinking how we're going to do that hunt mm-hmm. you know if i shoot some does today most of the time if you go to the woods brent like you told me all day i'm going to kill one i you know you're going there in the purpose of yeah. killing a deer because you're ready for some bacon wrapped tenderloin or a hamburger location mate. also it, that's right and i think that's an important specific point too that
1: we need to bring up too because the way Chris and I are thinking about this, obviously we're slanted toward a trophy buck. That's and correct. not everybody's objectives is that. Well, they may not have a property. trophy
2: buck. You may you may be in a club where it's a big thing to kill a two or three year old six eight seven eight point. I, I get them all the time, yep. and and you're counting on those three to four does. That's that's what your six or seven hundred dollars a year is getting you. And if that's the case, you need to take. And them. there's a lot of people that are managing their
1: properties on high quantity, not necessarily high quality. Right. And that's something that you need to – it's all about the objectives yeah. of your place right. and what your goals what you're and, right.
0: and what culture you want to build.
2: But I think, it, you know, I think, like you said, knowing your place, knowing your plan, having that plan. You know, yeah. I've heard you say it, Brent, three or four times, having that plan. And it's not a written-down plan, but knowing. If you're going to carry two buddies from work – and they want to shoot a doe for meat, put them in spots that are not going to affect the rest of your land and let them shoot those does. Yeah, incorporate I that into your Think plane. of that the of first plane. part of the year and say, okay, I'm going to set these. These are not great stands, but you could see two or three on my place. I've got seven. Y'all know the ones I'm talking about. They're on the front side of the place. They don't affect the middle. Of, and, and if they do kill one, you can come down a railroad track. I can come down a gas line. To get them out, and I
0: don't destroy the whole yeah. sanctuary system that I've already set up. Yeah, and and kind of along those lines, Mitt made a point about when he is when he is making that dough harvest. You know, you're not doing it on those destination food plots. Keep that keep that cover, that sanctuary, that that cover in mind also. Along those same lines, uh, you know, don't go. You don't want to go in there that you would want to protect that cover just like you do those destination food plots because you don't I want would to want ship protect them out that of cover
2: there. first. You don't want to blow them out. Yeah. Because I can tell you when they start running, they can run a while.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I think, kind of in, in wrapping it up and in, in summary, I think the real take home message when we start talking about deer management and, and population, it's, it's not a set number. I mean, you could, an example of that would be, you know, 20 or 30 acres per deer. For Chris may be a very comfortable you know uh, population on my place if it's if it doesn't have the the resources that Chris has had could be absolute way too high population and so it's to understand matching the resources with the population and trying to stay on that razor's edge either through better habitat management and we've had a few podcasts on habitat management now it's coming full circle of why to make sure that, that we're matching the, the, the habitat resources with the population, and there's two ways to control that. Do a better job on our habitat quality or that trigger finger. Yeah, And that's the way to balance that. To balance that. Yeah, and, then, and I
0: would say this is a really good area. This is a good arena to have a good relationship with your neighbor. You know, communication I with your so, neighbor, really, mean, really, really. Because it, 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 these days, we talk about this a lot, there, there are fewer and fewer large tracks. You see a lot of smaller tracks. And let's say if I've got a 40, the 40 we were talking about earlier that I hunt, uh, let's say this year or or next year it gets clear cut. So for four years, I've got 40 acres of prime cover. Habitat. I've got prime habitat. Well, I'm going to have those numbers are going to go up. But also my opportunity, like my hunting, completely changed changes. That's all I got to hunt. So, so now maybe I don't kill any does, even though I've got a lot. I know that they're leaving my track to go feed, but I've got the cover. So when it comes to rut, mm-hmm. you know, I've got that spot. Those bucks yeah. are going to be it's cruising all those neighbors' bucks. That Thursday ladies' cruising. night is every yeah. day at your place. That's yeah. right. right. So so it, and, I, and I make that point to illustrate that it it is it's it's a moving target. Yeah. You know that, that those approaches and those things evolve as that landscape changes as you grow through early succession. I mean, there's all kind of factors that change. And like you said, you've you're just now getting into a, a phase on your farm where you're going to have to start looking start hard at dough that. management. Yeah. Well,
2: you're gonna have to have some work. I mean, that's well, the and
1: the the, the take home message there, Brent, was about correlation to your neighbors because I would I would argue that that Chris's track and, and even mine are larger than average and we 100% are affected by our neighbors. I, would, I don't know how big of a track that you would have to have before neighbors. Before you're insulated.
0: What, what, I don't think it exists.
2: I, I That's mean, right. Yeah.
1: 5,000 acres I don't think is, is big enough. No. No. He can
2: he can roam. And I'm going to tell you something. Having a good relationship, and you've reached out to your neighbors, I think on yours met some guys lease it from another yes. from another part of the state. But you have a phone call relationship. Well, I have a phone call and a visiting relationship with with the doctor and my neighbor, and it, it it's been it's it's the best thing in the world because we can we don't have to show each other the that's best really everything, important. but we can really help because look everything he does on his place affects mine,
0: hundred percent.
2: Yeah, great point. So,
0: all right. Well, look that's some that's some insight. You know, we we opened it up talking about when to kill him and and. I feel like we drank from a fire hydrant a little bit but that's some some good things that talking about culture and talking about that deer you know not really want to be around a lot of a lot of a big crowd of deer at the food plot the social you know aspect about, social you know, pressure yeah when it comes to if if your goal is that that mature trophy buck uh that's just an example of the the things that go into that thought process of not just when do I kill my does or where do I kill my does, but should I kill? Should I be in there shooting does? That's right. Those and, are all
2: and, all and those are yeah, and, those and mental decisions. arithmetic that we gotta go yeah. through. Yeah, that's right. It's and a lot those to think the, about and, and those are the decisions that you can make observation, sitting in the stand, yeah. run those cameras,
0: and and walk in your land. Yep. Yeah. And no one. Yeah. I think what it, it it's Maybe you look at it a little different than just doe management. I, li- I like that takeaway also that it's population management. Mm-hmm. It's not just doe Herd management. management. Herd. That's, that's Herd. a lot, a lot of good stuff there. Good as always. That's <laughs> look. That's part of why we wanted wanted to do this all. This podcast is sort of a microcosm, maybe of, of some of the conversations we've had between us, and then that goes back to that name, that woodsman perspective, because there's three or four different perspectives. On a management theory, you know, on a piece of this habitat and wildlife management and hunting, you know, it's this hunting heavy really because that's what we're trying to—that's what we're looking at in this is, is that hunting culture and that hunting culture not just for the hunter but on your property. But how that affects your population? Too. Yeah, and and no matter if you're the if you're the thirty acre, the forty acre lease or hunting club or public land guy, we've all got a different perspective. You if you've got the 3,000 acre farm that you're intensely managing uh there's there's a different perspective and that's what we want to bring to the table and uh i think we nailed it this time been fun yep see you next time all right look it's deer season we're gonna get after them look if you're hunting wherever you're at good luck be safe and we'll see you next time on the woodsman perspective
2: that seemed like